Take your Bible. Let's go to Romans chapter 6 this morning. Romans chapter 6. I appreciate the way you're listening in chapel and in services. It's a blessing and uh, trust that you'll fight off the distractions uh, to sleep or to let your mind wander uh, during preaching. Uh, God will bless you for having an open heart to the Word of God. And I just want to commend you thus far. You've done a great job and uh, trust you'll continue to do so. Romans chapter 6, let's look at the first four verses together. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. It is disingenuous for us to preach the gospel if we are unwilling to live the gospel. We are in a semester, a year, where pastor has led us to the theme, declare the gospel. And this week has focused on that theme. And throughout the course of the next Sunday's pastor will be developing that theme of the gospel, declaring it. We will have emphasis. You heard pastor last night talk about the bus ministry, and I'm very excited. You'll be seeing something next week uh, coming down the, the line where you're going to be able to register for back to some ministry and bus ministry and Sunday school classes for children. And we're going to get back to that very shortly. We're just committed to it. And we believe that God is going to use you in a marvelous way in this community throughout the semester to declare the gospel. But it would be very hypocritical for us to preach the gospel and not live the gospel. What a great message the gospel is. I declare to you the gospel by which also you are saved. What is the gospel? how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, how that he was buried and how that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That is the gospel. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken from it. That is the gospel that saves us. The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul said, though an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which I have preached to you, let him be accursed. That's pretty strong language. There is no other gospel than the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. Jesus said, this gospel shall be preached in all the world for a witness to all nations. God wants this gospel to get to every single person on the planet. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. There's no reason for us to be ashamed of the gospel. There's no reason for us to be timid about the gospel. God wants us to get the gospel to every person. Paul said, though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory in. 
for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. So we understand from Scripture that we have a mandate, we have a responsibility, whether we're shy or whether we're outgoing, whether we're extrovert or introvert, whether we have opportunity or seem to lack opportunity, God commands all of us to preach the gospel, to declare the gospel. But does our lifestyle reflect the gospel? Philippians 1.27 is a verse that Pastor chose when he came here to Lancaster many years ago. Just a little hint here, he is not a young pastor. When he tells you that, he's living in his past. But when he came here 35 years ago, Pastor selected Philippians 1.27 as sort of a capsulizing verse for our ministry. And it reads, only let your conversation, and we know that that word conversation entails more than our speech. It includes our speech, but the word has the idea of our manner of life. In other words, it involves our actions, our reactions, our our talk, our walk, everything about us. Let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Have you ever had somebody, probably you girls more than us guys, but somebody comes up to you and says, wow, that color looks good on you. You ever have somebody say that? Well, I like those earrings. They're, they're very becoming to you. Or I like the way you fix your hair. That, that, really, that, that really is, uh, it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure where I'm going with the next statement, but we, we would compliment someone by saying, that's becoming to you. How becoming is your life to the gospel? Does the gospel look good on you? Does the gospel look good on me? Now, maybe here in chapel we're okay, but what about at work? What about at Walmart? What about on the phone? What about in our room? What about on Facebook? Does the gospel look good on us? It was Gandhi who said, I would be a Christian if it weren't for Christians. Would someone say in this community after getting to know you this semester, you know, I'd get saved if it wasn't for them. The gospel doesn't look good on them. It's not becoming to them. I understand what they're saying, but I don't see it in the way they're living. Now, just as there are three parts to the gospel as it's spoken, There are three parts to the gospel as it is to be lived. Christ died. He was buried. He rose again. Three parts make up the gospel. And as we preach the gospel, we must preach the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
So as we live the gospel, as we endeavor to make sure the gospel looks good on us, we've got to make sure that we understand those same three parts in living it as well as declaring it. So let's think about death. Go back to our text. Look again at verse 1 with this in mind. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now, the reason they asked that question was because back up in verse 20 of chapter 5, he says, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Aren't you glad? I mean, the law, the more you read this book, the more sin you find in your life, right? I mean, the more the mirror exposes. The closer you get to the mirror, the more you see. So the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. So maybe these people were thinking, okay, so the more sin there is, the more grace there is. We want more grace, so let's sin more. If there's more grace than sin, and the more sin there is, the more grace you'll get, then let's sin a lot so we get more grace. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Don't go that road. What shall we say then? Shall we sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Okay, verse 2. Uh, 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 how shall we that are dead to sin? There's the death. Live any longer therein. Know ye not that so many vessels were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. So to preach the gospel, we've got to preach the death of Jesus Christ, the, the crucifixion, the, the, the cross, the, 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 the taking of our penalty on that cross for sin, the death of Christ. So now to live the gospel, Paul says we've got to die to sin in our life if we're going to make the gospel look good on us. So let's just inventory a minute is pride dead or alive is selfishness dead or alive is bitterness dead or alive is lust dead or alive is worry dead or alive We've got to take inventory because though we preach the gospel, we declare it, God expects us to live that gospel. So we've got to put to death sin in our life. Paul said mortify. We, that, that word, you know, mortification, mortician, mortuary, it's talking about death. Mortify, therefore, your members that are upon the earth fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So Paul is saying there in Colossians 3, verse 5, put to death these members, the, these, these things in your life that ought to be dead. Put them to death. Crucify them. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Okay? There's some things that have to die well, as a Christian. There's some things that I need to die to, sin in my life. We, we used the verse a couple nights ago, or maybe it was last night, Colossians 3. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of the throne of God. Set your affection on things above, not on the things of the earth. For why? You are dead. 
and your life is hid with Christ. So when people look at our life, they ought not to see sin. That's dead. It's hid with Christ. Thank God our sins are forgiven. Thank God our sins are under the blood. Thank God they're covered, they're removed. They're far as the east is from the west. God has covered our sins. He's, 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 he's forgiven our sin. But Paul is saying, hey now, make sure that that sin in your life is dead on a daily basis because that's the gospel that people are gonna be able to see in you. And if sin is alive and well in the heart of a Christian or the life of a Christian, the gospel never sees, the, the world never sees the first point of the gospel. Is your old man dead? Now, to die to sin, to die to the flesh, to die to the old man, it doesn't happen once. It's got to happen every day. This isn't a decision you make at an altar and say, okay, I got that taken care of. Check that box. Gone from my bucket list. No, Paul said, I die daily. In other words, we, when we get saved, our flesh doesn't get saved. We still have a flesh. We still have an old nature. We, we still have a, a man that is prone to wander, prone to leave God, prone to go back. That, that's the point of much of God's instruction in the word of God because he knows that, that we have these, this old flesh that wants to gravitate like water to, to that, that which is sin. So every day we've got to be conscious of the fact that, oh, man, that, man I, I had that wrong thought. Got to die. I'm, oh, man, I was worried and sick and anxious about that. That was wrong. I should have been trusting God. I, I should have been, my, my confidence should have been in him. I want to die to that. I want to confess that. Die to that sin. Every day we've got to die, die, die. And the only way you're going to be even conscious of sin that's starting to sprout itself again and come alive in your life is through this book. It's by getting back in front of the mirror. Have you ever looked in the mirror and realized that all day you had forgot something? <laughs> and you thought, did I look like this for very long? Was my hair like this for very long? Did, did I lose an earring or did I forget to put one on? Um, I, I remember, Brother Weaver, you'll f forgive me, but Several years ago, we were sitting in the back room getting ready to come out for chapel. And Dr. Weaver was sitting there and, and uh, he looked down and he said, hey guys, will you look at that? And he had a blue sock and a black sock. <laughs> he said, will you look at that? And uh, he had to go out, sit on the platform and, and he was embarrassed, he had a blue sock and a black sock. And uh, he said, you know what the crazy thing is? I got a pair just like it at home. <laughs> and you know sometimes we we look in the mirror and we think oh my I, I i went out of the house like that i went out looking like that and you don't realize you get in front of the mirror 
Maybe your makeup's smudged or you know, your hair's out of place or your tie's crooked or you know, whatever the case might be or you got a smudge on your collar or something and it was dirty and you, you went all day like that and nobody said anything but you looked in the mirror. Hey, the only way you're gonna notice the smudge on your life is by looking in the mirror. Strong meat belongs to them that are of full age who by reason of use, using that strong meat of the word of God, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. See, when you go to the workplace today off campus, there's not a lot of discernment between good and evil. When, when, you, when you turn on the internet and, and stuff starts popping up as it does on my screen, there's no discernment there on the part of social media or the news coverage, there, there's the advertisements, they're not gonna discern, oh, you shouldn't look at this or you, you should look, no. The only thing that's gonna reveal good and evil is this book, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee, oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. We've got to stay in this book if we're going to continually, daily die to sin, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. You'll never become a partaker of the divine nature. You'll never become more and more like Christ in your life You'll never say no more and more to the sins in this world without the great and precious promises. The great and precious promises are what help us to become more like Christ because we see Christ in here. We see God in this book. And we also see ourselves and how far short we are of him. And so the word of God, you're clean through the word which I've spoken unto you. So there'll be no conviction of sin if you neglect this book. So if we're going to declare the gospel, we've got to have a life that's becoming of that gospel. And the only way we're going to know if there's interference to that is if we stay in this book. Stay close to this book. Stay, stay attuned in chapel. Stay attuned in your classes. Let the word of God cleanse you every day. When it shows you something, hey, that needs to go. If iniquity be in thine hand, put it far from thee. Confess it, forsake it, go on for the Lord Jesus Christ, being a, a better light for the Lord Jesus Christ. The light's already established. We've got to keep the bulb clean so the light can shine through us. So, death. But then notice burial, verse 4. He says, therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. So the gospel is the death and the burial of Jesus Christ. We don't emphasize that a lot. We, we emphasize the death of Christ. We emphasize the resurrection of Christ. But in between there, he was buried. There was proof that he was indeed dead. He was placed in the tomb three days, three nights. He was buried. And the Old Testament had prophesied that. It had predicted that in many different ways. Jesus talked about the death and burial. Matthew 12, he said, as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Uh, there are just numerous types in the Old Testament of uh, uh, three days. 
Abraham went three days journey before he uh, raised that knife above Isaac. There are pictures throughout that God has shown us that include that burial period of the gospel. So the burial is an important aspect. Now, burial to us, when, when, when we bury a loved one, when there's a funeral, when we lower a casket into a grave, it serves as sort of a closure. Sometimes it, it, it doesn't even hit us quite at the funeral that our loved one has passed. But when we go out to that cemetery and we, we have that burial service, it's oftentimes there that we realize, boy, this is final. This physical separation has actually taken place. And this person is being placed in the ground to return to the dust. Their, their spirit's already with God. Their, 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 their soul is with the Lord, and we're thankful for that. But there's that closure that comes with burial. Have you buried your sin? Something that's buried, we used to bury a lot of dead animals on the farm. <laughs> Something that's buried becomes repulsive. It begins to rot, begins to stink. There's no desire to go back and dig it back up. Sometimes we'd have a dog that would dig up something we had buried. Not good. The stench that would come from that grave as a dog would uncover some of those, those decomposing parts of that animal. Not good. Repulsive. We would scold the dog. We would push the dirt back over the, over the animal, make sure to dig a little deeper next time. Cover it up maybe with some rocks or something. Make sure that, that that is never exposed, that never comes back to the surface. So often, young people, we, we come to an altar and we, God has convicted us of sin. And I'm afraid sometimes before we get back to our seat, we've already dug up the grave. When sin is crucified, when we die to sin in our life, we need to bury it. And it needs to become repulsive. It needs to be something now that we forsake. We need to stay away from. We need to put some patterns and accountabilities in our life so that we don't go back to that which is dead to that which is to be decomposed, to disintegrate, to disappear from our life. Look at verse 5 here in this text. For if we've been planted or buried, if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. That henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. So the idea here is not to confess sin this morning and by tonight I've dug it back up and now tomorrow morning I've got to confess the same sin and then tomorrow I go back and dig it up again and then next morning I go back and confess my sin again. God says, no, 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 no. He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh it shall have mercy. 
So the burial aspect of the gospel as we live it is to not only recognize sin, die to that sin, but now put a plan in place in our life to bury it, to get it in the past tense. It once existed, but it's dead and it's buried. I no longer desire it. It is repulsive. It stinks. How can the world see Christ and the gospel in us if we are loving the same things they love? If we are participating in the same things that they participate without Christ, they can't see the gospel. We can declare it, declare it, declare it, preach it, go soul winning, knock on doors, do all these programs, but if they don't see it in us, our message is very disingenuous. And we will be labeled hypocrites. So we have the death, we have the burial, and then we have the resurrection. Look at verse four again. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. There's the resurrection. When a man gets saved, when a woman gets saved, our life were to die to sin. That sin now becomes buried. It becomes repulsive. We leave it in the past tense of our life. We go on to live for Jesus Christ in a new life as a new creature with a new message. Think back to when you got saved. Maybe it was a year ago. Maybe it was five years ago. Maybe it was 10 years ago, 15 perhaps. What's new in your life since then? Now, that's not about, well, I'm in Bible college. That's new. Well, I have a girlfriend. That's, that's new. Um, I read my Bible now. That's new. But I'm, I'm talking about what's new about you. What's new about your makeup as a person since you got saved? All things become new. You're a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a peculiar people. And you should be showing forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's a big difference. Darkness and light. You notice that. Who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. It's a big difference. You were lost. Now you're saved. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your soul. Having your conversation there's that word again, honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak evil among you, they may by your good works glorify God in the day of visitation. He didn't say by your good sermons, by your good services, by your ability to declare the gospel, by your conversation by your good works, by the way that you live. They're not only hearing it, 
They're seeing it. They're seeing a new person. That's why Paul said, you are our epistle. You're the Bible. You're the word of God in people's lives. You're our epistle, known and read of all men. Written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tables of stone, but in the fleshly tables of the heart. Most of Lancaster is not going to pick up their Bible and read it today. So what from the Bible will they see in you at Walmart? Because that's all they got. It's the only... It's the only revelation they have. It's your life and mine. And I'll guarantee you, from this pulpit, over these next weeks, pastor's going to declare the gospel. And we're going to put ministries in motion here very soon uh, uh, to help us to be able to exercise our muscles again and get out there and, 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 and get some people under the sound of the gospel. We're going to do everything we can to declare the gospel. I'll tell you what, college student. You've got a great opportunity this afternoon to live it. You've got a great opportunity in your dorm. You've got a great opportunity on this campus. You've got a great opportunity when that UPS or that FedEx man walks on this campus that he can see the gospel. When you get at that job site or, or you go home for a weekend or wherever God takes you in this life, We've got to do more than declare it. We've got to personify it. That involves more than a, the right kind of haircut or wearing a tie or having your skirt a certain length. There's got to be a picture to this world of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's a conservative entity in our country that I'm not going to mention by name, and you'll know why in a minute, but there, there's, a, there's a conservative group of college-age students, primarily, who get together often for various conferences and, and uh, motivational speakers and come and, and uh, they're, it, it's, it's kind of politically driven, but it's conservative young people. And, and it has Christian in the name. And so it is basically a Christian conservative organization that is a group of people your age that gather in various locations throughout the country and have meetings and conferences and are motivated to take a stand for religious liberty and take a stand for Christian truth and, and do what we can to uh, bring about, you know, a change in the country. And if I mention some of the names at the top of the organization, you would recognize them. Recently, a friend of our ministry here was invited to speak at one of these conferences. And it was several days, and so he stayed in the same hotel as the college students were staying. And he said he would go to these meetings, and of course they were preaching and teaching and rallying and motivating about Christian principles and, 
and living for Christ and, and changing the world and having impact on politics and doing something great with our lives to, you know, do right. And he said, I'd come back to the hotel and all night long, those Christian young people would hop from room to room to room to room and sleep with each other. Now, let me tell you something, West Coast Baptist College. That ain't going to change the world, no matter how much you talk. No matter how many conferences you have, no matter how much you preach, no matter how much you say it, that is not going to change the world. We got to live it. And if the world doesn't see us living it, quite frankly, they're not interested in hearing it. And I want to challenge us because we know how to declare the gospel. That's why we're here. We're getting better at it all the time. We're taking a class in homiletics. We're taking a class in teaching, you know, uh, reading. Or we're, we're taking a class in, in teaching or preaching or, or, or counseling or, or youth work or music or, you know, creative arts. We're, we're learning how to declare. But young people, if we don't learn how to live it, then we're wasting a lot of time and a lot of money and a lot of energy because the world isn't going to listen. Do you really think the hotel clerk at that hotel would have been impacted if someone had laid a tract in front of her? Said, hey, please read this. I don't think so. Isaiah painted a sad picture of the people of his day. He said, this people draw nigh unto me with their mouth, and with their lips they honor me, but their heart is far from me. May, not, may that not be said about you or me. May that not be said about West Coast. May they, when people come here or hear about West Coast, man, they'll say, boy, I tell you what, those kids, they sure sing good in chapel. Man, they really praise the Lord. Man, those special music groups they have, they're awesome. Man, some of those young guys at West Coast, man, can they preach? Boy, I tell you what, they got it down. Some of those teachers, man, they are awesome. But they don't live it. I've heard said, you'll fail at being a Christian before you'll, you'll fail at being a preacher. Make sure you're not failing at being a good Christian. Because you can get an A in homiletics and get an F in how you live your sermon. And it's a lot easier to preach it than it is to live it. So the challenge this morning is are we living the gospel, living for Jesus, a life that is true, striving to please him in all that I do, yielding allegiance, glad-hearted and free. This is the pathway of blessing for me, and it'll be a lot more of a blessing 
to those that are watching.